Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. Well, good morning. And uh, it's my privilege today to, to talk to you about Jesus uh, from the Bible. Pastor Josh, thanks for the opportunity uh, from time to time just to be able to, to open up God's Word with our church and share. It, it is an honor. So today I want to talk to you about something that I'm going to call small obedience. So in a moment, we will be in Mark chapter 1. What I'm going to do is read six verses, and then we will go back and walk through about 20 verses. Because in order to understand what the Bible means, we obviously need to understand what it meant. So small obedience, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 40. It says, Now a leper came to him, who is him, it's Jesus, imploring Jesus, kneeling down to him, and saying to him. So a leper comes to Jesus implores Jesus, kneels down to Jesus, and says to Jesus. That's a lot. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I'm willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. But go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses, Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Verse 45. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. I want to talk to you just briefly about what I'm going to call small obedience. So the Bible says in John chapter 21, verse 25, that if everything Jesus did was written down and compiled into books, there isn't enough room in all of the world to contain all of the books. How many of you know Jesus did an awful lot of things in about three to three and a half years? Just imagine how many planets it would take to control, to contain all of the volumes of books um, of, what every, of everything Jesus had done in the last 2,000 years. How many of you know there are books with your name on it? How many of you know there are books with your name on it that contain all of the things Jesus has done, and most of us have no idea what those books contain? God is merciful, He is majestic, and He is with us every step of the way. And if everything Jesus had done during the three-year span approximate three-year span that he walked the earth, there isn't enough room in all of the earth to contain those volumes. That means that what we do have in this one book, how many of you know, has been hand-selected by Jesus and given to us so that we can thrive in life. There are no meaningless details in the Bible. So if it has been given to us and we have access to it in the book, that means, if I could go authorized version for a second, every jot and tittle is there for a reason, right? It is breathed by God according to what Paul wrote to Timothy. But if you're like me, every now and then you're reading the Bible and you come across a story and you know, okay, wait a second, I know that God has given this to me for a reason. I know that this is useful. I'll even use the word relevant. I know that there's a reason why I have access to this content right now, but wait a second, what just happened? And that's what, I, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at a story that if you, if you just slow down after you read it, you, you begin to ask, 
wait a second, why did Jesus just perform a miracle on someone and then tell the person to say nothing? Doesn't that contradict Matthew 28 when we are called to go into all the world and preach the gospel? Why would Jesus perform a miracle and then say, don't say a word to anybody? Why is this here? Well, it's here for a reason. And for a few minutes today, we'll try our best to figure out why. So in order to understand what the Bible means, we have to understand what it meant. So let's go back to verse 21. I'll paraphrase and jump through a few of these verses. Jesus is in Capernaum, and he comes into a synagogue. A synagogue was a small gathering, not of thousands, not of hundreds, but a few dozen. The concept of the synagogue um, came into existence after the Jews left the uh, ancient Babylon, after they were abducted and during the 70-year captivity. One of the things that happened from that is the religious system was flipped upside down and for lack of a better term, their spiritual life was decentralized. Whereas before, everybody used to travel to Jerusalem to go to the temple to offer, um, you know, sacrifices, and the priest would do what he did. After the Babylonian captivity, because there was no temple, this concept that eventually came to be known as a synagogue came into existence. So religion and spiritual life is decentralized. It's no longer just in Jerusalem. It is spread out all over the village. How many of you know that sometimes very valuable things come from social upheaval, if we're willing? And so the concept of the synagogue comes into being, and what happens is God takes their big gatherings and shrinks them. Now you've got a few dozen people, men, because women were not allowed to attend the synagogue. A few dozen men on a good day. And Jesus shows up and he starts his public ministry. And one of the primary things he does is he goes into the synagogue. You couldn't just wander into a synagogue and preach, okay? Um, What would happen is the rabbi would take the scroll, roll it out to put it into perspective. The scroll of Isaiah would have been about, I don't know, about nine feet long. They would take the scroll and they would roll it out. They would read a passage. There were no chapters, no verses. They would just open up the scroll, read a passage. And because all of the men in the synagogue had the, the first five books of the Bible and most of the prophets memorized, everybody would have immediately known exactly where in the scriptures the rabbi was talking from. So the rabbi would read the scroll, roll the scroll back up and start talking. And then the men had a conversation. It was a bit different than what we do today, where one person stands up and primarily communicates like I'm doing now. Back then, it was a bit more conversational, and both are okay. So for Jesus, though, to wander into a synagogue, it tells us Jesus was an itinerant Jewish rabbi. He's not just a guy who's the son of a carpenter who's hanging out in a barn, messing around with some wood and nails from time to time, and just happens to wander into the synagogue. No, Jesus is a teacher. He is a communicator. And people could not just visit a synagogue. You couldn't just wander into a synagogue and hang out. No, there was actually this, this process you had to go through. You had to be a man. You, you had to be of well repute in the community. And so to be a man in the synagogue meant that you were someone who belonged. 
Now, keep that in mind. So it says in verse 21, they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught, verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught as one having authority, not as the scribes. Now, the Bible and the Gospels tells us that people were amazed at Jesus for two reasons. Number one, they were amazed at the miracles he performed. And secondly, they were amazed at the way in which he spoke. And here, it tells us they're amazed or astonished because he spoke as someone who had authority. So Jesus is not just this politically correct, passive person. Jesus is commanding. He is authoritative, and yet he's loving. I love that about Jesus. Verse 23, now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, this man is demon-possessed. Remember, you couldn't just wander into a synagogue. You had to go through this religious process. So the synagogue that happened to be a community designed to destroy the works of the devil actually became a habitation to tolerate them. This man is demon-possessed, and he is fully at home in the synagogue. Verse 24, and the demon says, leave us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demon knows who Jesus is. The, the members of the synagogue don't have a clue. So the demons know more about Jesus in this moment than the, the members of the synagogue. And Jesus speaks one word, it's epitomaho, it's a word that was actually created and it became synonymous with casting demons out of people. Contact with the spiritual world was so prevalent and so uh, constant that there was a word created to use. It meant stop it, shut up, come out. With one word, Jesus speaks epitomaho and the demon stops it, shuts up, and comes out. Verse 25, be quiet, come out of him. Verse 26, and the unclean spirit convulsed him, cried out with a loud voice, and he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, and they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? Now remember, um, for about 400 years, there was a prophetic silence among the Hebrew communities. And it's not because God had nothing to say. It's because God's people became dull of hearing. Now we understand why the devils felt at home in the synagogue. Whenever you cut off the prophetic voice from the gathering, hell feels at home. Did you hear that? Whenever you cut off the prophetic voice from the gathering, hell feels right at home. They're amazed because Jesus has authority over demons. Is this a new doctrine? Is this a new teaching? Now, we know it wasn't a new doctrine. King Solomon, for example, according to rabbinical tradition in Jewish history, was known to cast evil spirits out of people consistently. So it's not as if Jesus just shows up and all of a sudden this starts happening. No, it had been going on for a long time. They just forgot about it. 
In verse 28, it says, immediately his fame spread throughout the region and Galilee. You come to verse 29. Now, as soon as they came out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon. So Jesus is in the synagogue. He's preaching. He comes in contact with the demon-possessed person. The demon starts saying things. Jesus speaks one word. Everything changes. Then he comes into Peter's mother-in-law's house, and she's very ill. And Jesus reaches out and touches her. Verse 31, he came, he took her by the hand, he lifts her up, and immediately the fever left her, and, and she served him. What I want you to catch is this, that when Jesus deals with the enemy, he uses authority. But when Jesus deals with us, he uses love. Verse 32, it says, at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and all those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak, for they knew him. So we see here that Jesus does not allow the evil spirits to talk. What that tells me is God is not interested in the devil's opinion. How many of you know it would do us well to no longer be interested in the devil's opinion? So Jesus comes into the synagogue, a few dozen guys. He preaches. He casts a demon out of somebody. Everybody's eyes are open big. What's going on here? They're amazed. They're astonished. Can you believe what just happened? He has authority over the evil spirits. He wanders into the home of a friend whose mother-in-law is sick. Jesus touches her. She's healed. Then before you know it, the entire region is talking about this person who has authority over evil spirits, who healed a woman who was very sick. And now all of a sudden, you've got this massive crowd of people, people who are sick, people who are tormented by evil spirits, and Jesus is having a very difficult time making it anywhere because of the crowd. So what does Jesus do? Jesus withdraws by himself and he gets alone. Verse 35, it says that in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and he departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. I love that. Private devotion. We, it's easy to get caught up with the public demonstration of the power of God. But remember, that public demonstration that we just heard about comes from a place of private devotion. I heard somebody say once, it's important that our reputation never exceeds our character. Jesus was who he says he was, not just publicly, but privately. And it is from a place of prayer in verse 38. It says this, Jesus says to his disciples, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. So Jesus withdraws to a place of prayer, and from a place of prayer, he is instructed by God to go into numerous villages and preach there. This is important because Jesus will not make it to the villages God told him to go to. Did Jesus do everything God asked him to do? We're going to see how the decisions of people can actually impact the unchangeable, immovable purpose of God at times. There's no such thing as small obedience, is there? It's obedience, period.
Verse 40, a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So Jesus, from a place of prayer, certain places become sovereign places when we pray. From a place of prayer, Jesus gets up and he starts walking, and a person who is leprous comes to him. Now, the word here for leprosy is a term that's used for various skin diseases. It doesn't always mean it's Hansen's disease, okay? So when you think of leprosy, you think of an ear falling off or a nose falling off and things like that. Um, And it's tragic. It's devastating. But the word here for leprosy means a variety of skin diseases that result um, in a a manifestation of scales on, on skin, What we do know is this person has a skin disease. Now, at this time in history, especially in the community of the Jewish faith, if you attended synagogue, if you came down with a skin disease and it produced scales, you were immediately quarantined. We know something about quarantines, don't we? You were immediately quarantined away from everybody. You couldn't go home and say goodbye to your family. You couldn't say to the boss, hey, boss, I won't be back at work for a while. You are immediately excommunicated from society, forced to live over here in what was called a leper colony. And what happened was this. Whenever somebody was diagnosed with a skin disease or they were found to be leprous, they assumed... And this is documented well in uh, things archaeologists have found near Eastern medical journals, okay? Medical journals that were written at this time, they believed that skin diseases that produce scales came from two sources. Number one, they came because the person who was leprous uh, dabbled in black magic, or it's because God was cursing them for their sin, So what we do know is this, if you were diagnosed with a skin disease, nobody thought, oh, you're just sick. People assumed you're involved in witchcraft or you're under God's curse. And this type of thinking permeated first century Jerusalem. So when you came in contact with somebody who was leprous, immediately somebody thought, you're a witch, you're a warlock, or you're under God's curse. I want nothing to do with you. So not only was there a physical stigma, there was a social stigma. Not only were you quarantined over here into a, a leper colony, you were also forbidden to participate in religious rituals. You were considered to be what they called ceremonially unclean. And this is huge. Because to get a skin disease, it affected your spiritual life, your emotional life, as well as your physical life. Interesting, in the Bible, whenever there is a reason given for someone being diagnosed with a skin disease like leprosy, it is always directly related to their disregard for spiritual authority. Miriam, for example, was found to be leprous is because she disregarded the prophetic ministry of her husband Moses. Gehazi, who did the same to his master, I think it was Elisha. And then Uzziah, who chose to perform a religious ritual and do something that was only relegated to a certain part of the religious community. Whenever someone is found to be leprous in the Bible and a reason is actually given, it is always because they disregard spiritual authority. 
And whenever you were diagnosed with leprosy, you were quarantined for seven days. During that seven-day quarantine, your job was to pray and fast. And at the end of the seven days, you came in front of the priest. And the priest examined you. And if the priest found no evidence that you had a skin disease, you were quarantined again for seven days. If you were still found to have a skin disease, your quarantine lasted longer. The priest was seldom used by God to perform a miracle of healing in someone's life in the Bible. It's almost always the prophet. The prophet in Scripture is almost always the person that God will use to perform a miracle of healing. The priest is the one who was used to diagnose whether or not someone was clean. If you were told by the priest you're clean, you actually received a certificate of cleanliness, and you could leave. So when someone saw you on the street, hey, Heath, hey, what are you doing out of the leper colony? Here, I've got my paper. That's kind of the way it went. You were given a certificate of cleanliness. The leper comes to Jesus. This is something the leper should not have done. The leper should not have been wandering around the streets. The leper should have been over here in the colony. Why isn't the leper in a colony? I have no idea. So let's not speculate. What we do know is the leper should have never come to Jesus. Because Jesus is an itinerant Jewish rabbi. Now people know who Jesus is. This leper should have been over here, but the leper heard something about Jesus that caused him to violate social norm to press in and come after Jesus, and I think that's a pattern worth following. It makes you wonder what the leper heard. We don't know. What we do know is the leper risked it all and pressed in and comes to Jesus, and what does the leper say? The leper says this in verse 40, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He does not say if you are able. Being willing and being able are two different things. How many of you know when we come to God, it's important to remember God is able. It's also important to remember God is willing. He says, if you are willing, you can heal me. That's not what he says. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So this leper does not come to Jesus just to get healed. This leper comes to Jesus to be made clean. So he's after so much more than a physical healing. He wants to be healed physically so that he can be restored emotionally and socially and spiritually. And so that he can jump back into the spiritual community that he has been excommunicated from. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41, Jesus was moved with compassion and he stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Now, Numbers chapter five, verse two, let me read it to you. It says this, command the children of Israel that they may put out of the camp every leper, everyone who has a discharge and whoever becomes defiled by a corpse. So the Bible says you're not allowed to touch a leper, but Jesus touches the leper. Does Jesus disregard the Old Testament? No, and this is important to catch. Because in order to understand the New Testament, we have to have a firm grasp on the Old Testament. But without the New Testament, the Old Testament is incomplete. Are you with me? 
So does Jesus disregard what is commanded in Numbers chapter 5 verse 2, where it says you're not allowed to come in contact with the leper. Actually, if your shadow touched someone who had leprosy, you were considered ceremonially unclean. Now we know why when Jesus tells the parable of the good Samaritan, the priest wants nothing to do with the person because the priest has been commanded in scripture, stay a far, as far away as possible from someone who is unclean. It's not as if the priest is not compassionate in the parable of Jesus. The priest is trying to obey the Bible with his mind. And he forgets that we also need to obey the Bible with our heart. That's the, one of the points of the parable. So Jesus does not disregard the Old Testament. How can Jesus touch the leper? And I would suggest to you it's because when Jesus speaks a word and, and he says, I am willing, be clean, be healed, in that moment he is already seeing the leprous man as clean. The man is already clean. How many of you know when Jesus looks at you, when you come to him in prayer, he looks at you after you come, after you repent, after you pray, after you talk to him, it doesn't take five hours for him to say, okay, let's move on. It is immediate. When we come to him, we are clean. And that's how powerful the cross is. When we come to him and we simply ask, we're clean. I am willing. Be clean. It's amazing. And then Jesus does something unique. In verse 41, it says he touches the leper. But in verse 42, it says as soon as Jesus spoke, the leprosy leaves. Remember in the synagogue, the demon-possessed man, Jesus does not touch that person. Jesus speaks a word. Remember Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus does not speak a word. He touches her. Sometimes um, we are to use the authority in the name of Jesus. Sometimes we are to function in love. But there are times where you can simultaneously function in both. And this is important because at this time in history, there is a belief that if you are bold about the truth, you are politically incorrect. I would suggest to you love, if it is not bold, is not love. If love is not unwavering, it is not love. The parent does not sit in the lawn chair when the two-year-old is running at the highway and says to herself or himself, I wonder if I should get my child's attention. I've got eight seconds before the child runs into the highway. Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. I don't want to offend the child. I don't want to step on the child's toes. No, the parent knows my child is in danger. I'm going to speak up authoritatively. And you don't say, sweetie, come here. Do you? When the child is running to the highway, you say, honey, stop. Are you with me? There are times when authority and love can function simultaneously. Jesus speaks a word and he touches the leper. This is huge. 
and the man is healed and cleansed, and Jesus does something that seems to make no sense. Jesus says, don't tell anybody, but go to the priest. Why would Jesus instruct him to go to the priest, even though the man has already been healed? Remember, in the synagogue, the evil spirits speak up, and Jesus does not allow them to talk. Later on, when the evil spirits begin to tell others who Jesus is, he authoritatively commands them to, to be quiet. But Jesus does not command the former leper who is now healed to be quiet. Jesus gives instruction. He does not instruct evil spirits. He commands them and they bow. But seldom will he command us and treat us like a robot. Instead, he instructs us and it is up to us to align ourselves with what he speaks. I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus draws attention away from the miracle and he puts the attention on obedience to the word. We love it when God performs the miracle. God loves it when we obey his word. Jesus says it's no longer about the miracle, it's about my word. It's about saying yes to my word. Don't tell anybody, go to the priest. And unfortunately, the leper doesn't do that. The leper disregards something that seems small and frivolous. After all, why should I go to the priest? I don't need a certificate of cleanliness. I'm completely healed. Anybody who looks at me will know that. I feel just fine. Surely he didn't really mean that. Have you ever disregarded the subtle whisper of God because you didn't think it was big enough? Talking about small obedience. There's no such thing as small obedience. Go to the priest. Now the priest, sometimes the priests get a bad rap. When you read in the Gospels, you come across the priests and the scribes and the Sadducees and Pharisees, some of these people who were responsible to make up rumors about Jesus and falsely accuse him and eventually were behind his false trial and, and his murder. But many of the priests were God lovers. Actually, in the first century, there were many priests who starved to death. And the reason why is there was a small group of priests that controlled the money from the temple, so much so that there were many priests who had no money. They couldn't work jobs because they were supposed to live off of um, what came through the temple. And because of a small group of corrupt priests, there were many priests who starved to death. I've been to some of their graves. John the Baptist's dad was a priest. So the uncle of Jesus was a priest. So when you think of the priests, it's not as if all the priests were just this big group of corrupt spiritual leaders. Most of them loved God. And priests were not only trained in religious leadership, they were trained in the law. They were trained in literature and poetry. They were also trained in the medical profession. And priests were the ones who would often examine somebody to determine whether or not they could return to society, as in the case of a leper. Jesus warns the leper not to tell anyone, but to go directly to the priest, and he disregards what Jesus says. What are the consequences of this small act of disobedience? I'll give you three, and then I'll be done. The first is this. 
the man breaks or violates Old Testament law. When you read in places like Deuteronomy 24, verses 8 through 9, and Leviticus 14, and Numbers 17, when you read in places like this, you'll find out Scripture's clear. When you're diagnosed with a particular disease, even if you're healed, you still must humble yourself and submit to a realm of social norm. Okay? So this man disregards God's word. It's never okay to disregard God's word. So someone needs to hear this. If you feel the Lord sharing something with you in prayer and it violates the Bible, 100% money back guarantee it's not God. Okay? So he violates God's word. That's the first consequence. Which is interesting to me because Jesus asked the man to obey the Old Testament, even though Jesus came to establish the new covenant. The second consequence is this. Some members of the priesthood would have had verifiable evidence that Jesus performed a miracle. When you read in the Gospels, you'll find out that there were priests who were there. When Jesus was falsely accused, priests were there. When Jesus was being whipped and betrayed, priests were there. Leading up to the crucifixion, priests were there. And although some of the Jewish priests were corrupt, most of them were not, what we do know is this. Could it be that if the leper would have gone to the priest and the priest would have looked at the leper and realized, you're completely healed, what happened? This guy over here, his name's Jesus of Nazareth. He touched me. He touched you? Yeah, he touched me. He's not supposed to touch you. He touched me, and I'm completely healed. Man, I've got to meet Jesus. Maybe Jesus isn't a false teacher. Maybe Jesus isn't crazy. Maybe Jesus isn't just another religious zealot. Maybe Jesus is who he says he is. The priest could have had an opportunity to see a validated miracle performed through the hands of Jesus. I wonder if it would have turned out differently for some of the priests. But we'll never know, will we? Because the man disregards And the third consequence, and then I'll be done, is Jesus was forced to change his itinerary. Remember verse 38, after Jesus prays, he arises early in the morning and he prays. Let me read it to you. After a a time of prayer, Jesus says, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. It takes eight days to validate whether or not someone is clean from leprosy. We know that from Leviticus 14.10. Jesus heals this man. He says, go to the priest. That means that man would have spent time with the priest for eight straight days. Jesus, from a place of prayer, was told, go into all these villages and preach. But Jesus never made it to those villages. He never made it to the villages that he was told to go to because the crowd prevented him because of one small act of disobedience. 
Is God sovereign? Yes. Is God more than able? Yes. But our choices have a profound impact on what God can and will do through us. It makes you wonder how many people would have heard Jesus talk and they never heard because Jesus never made it to their village. It's powerful if you think about it. It makes you wonder how many people were suffering from a sickness and they would have been healed, but they were not healed because Jesus never made it to their village. And it's not because Jesus didn't care. It's because one person disregarded a simple instruction Jesus gave and Jesus had to reroute his entire itinerary. There's no such thing as small obedience, is there? So what do we do with this? Well, just a few thoughts. Number one, as we move forward in life, as God speaks, as God whispers from his word, from a place of prayer, from a variety of different ways God speaks, let's never disregard whether or not it's God simply because it doesn't seem big and magnanimous. I've learned along with you that often when God speaks, it's seldom this big thing. It's usually something that seems small and inconspicuous, but it's God, right? So as we move forward in the grace of God and God whispers and God speaks, let's lean in and let's hear. Let's be willing to say yes, even if it doesn't seem like a big deal. And the second thought would be this. If this person's act of disobedience caused Jesus to reroute his entire itinerary, just imagine how powerful it is when we partner with God and when we align with God's word and when we say yes to him. Imagine how much more impactful that is. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you not only spoke a word and healed the leper, but you touched the leper. And God, I thank you that none of us are untouchable. And Lord, as you look across this crowd today, those watching and listening online, I thank you that there is no one so unclean that you're not willing to reach out and love them. I want to ask a couple questions. The first question is this. Perhaps you're in the room or you're watching or listening online and you would say, you know what? I've been struggling with shame and guilt and I feel like God is mad at me, that God is not interested in me. I feel like God is, 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 is angry with me because of the things I've done in the past. And what you need to remember is when Jesus reaches out and he touches the leper, he's communicating, there is nothing you can do that's going to cause me to fall out of love with you. When Jesus touches the leper, he's saying, what terrifies me is not your condition. What frightens me is that you're not willing to come to me. The leper comes. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus has compassion. He says, I'm willing, be clean. And not only is the man healed, he is made clean. And perhaps you would say, I'm struggling and I just need God's reminder that I'm loved. He's not mad at me. And I believe that there are people who just need a fresh touch of God's love today. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you to make eye contact with me really quick and say, Heath, remember me as you pray. Thank you. That's a good choice. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Good choice. He loves you. He's, even now, he's touching you right where you are. Thank you. He's touching you right where you are. And the second question would be this. As you move forward, if you would just be willing to say, you know what, God? God, will you speak to me? 
will you show me what I can do to partner with you, to partner with what's in your heart? I know you have an itinerary. I know you have something, a purpose in front of you. God, I want to be a part of that. And if that's you, right where you are, just say a yes to him as I pray over you. Okay? Yes. It's Jesus. Lord, I pray right now for those who just need a fresh touch from you to know that they are not untouchable. That because of their decisions or perhaps the decisions other people have made, your solution is never to excommunicate them and quarantine them. Your solution is you come. And God, I thank you for your touch on our lives. I thank you, Lord, that you reach out to us when we feel like we're hopeless, when we feel like there's no way. You always reach out and you touch the untouchable. I thank you that you not only heal us, but you make us clean. And I pray for a river to come and make us clean today. That from a place of being clean before you, we would dare to come into your presence and ask audacious things. Thank you that we are whole. And thank you, God, that our simple yes has a profound impact of what you do on the earth. And Lord, when you whisper to us and it seems small, inconspicuous, perhaps not even worth doing, I pray that we will never forget that small acts of obedience are big acts because it honors you. We bless your name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you And cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great God-filled, presence-filled week. The Lord loves you. Amen.